Lord Jesus, would you meet us in your word this evening, please? Would you, by your spirit, help us to know the truth? Amen. Amen. Please take a seat, and it will help you to to just have that second reading from John chapter 1 bookmarked, uh, and your Bible will be there shortly. Uh, And you'll find a little outline on the back of the pink sheet, which will help you kind of find your way through this evening. Uh, at the moment, Nikki and I are enjoying a TV series called Community. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's all on Amazon Prime, if you're interested. Uh, but it follows a, an eclectic group of students at a community college who form a Spanish study group. I was going to try and explain a bit of an episode to you, but I saw this morning that the projector's out, so I thought, why not watch a bit? So, this first clip is just a little bit indulgent to give you a little bit of a fun idea of what the program's about. Although I think the sound is a bit dodgy on this one, so let's see how it goes. So, what is my lawyer doing here? I'm a student. Well, that cannot be an inspiring joke. Uh, I, I am in a bit of a jam. The, the state bar has suspended my license. Uh, they found out my college degree was less than legitimate. Well, I thought you had a bachelor's from Columbia. Now I have to get one from America. And it can't be an email attachment. Well, you picked a fine school. There we go. Well, that's our, that's our main character, Jeff Winger. He's been disbarred by the, the Bar Association because uh, his college degree uh, was, was not real. His friend said, I thought you had a bachelor's from Columbia. He said, yes, now I have to get one from America. And it can't be an email attachment. But the clip we really were interested in is this one from, from partway through the second series. So this, my wife and I just watched this a few weeks ago, and I thought, that's going to get us to the point. So have a watch this. This one's a little bit longer, but I think the sound is a bit better on this one. Troy, what's wrong? Just saw a dead body. <sighs> I told you not to use the east stairwell. My pastor said it's meth season. You know, I'm living with Pierce now, so... This morning I went to do laundry in the garage and I found his mom. Dead. Oh, Troy, that's terrible. Well, she had been in bad shape for a while. So I guess she crawled out there to die like a cat. I've never been that close to a dead body before. Oh, okay. She was so cold and gray. It's our underwear. Jeez, who died? Pierce, we're so sorry to hear about your mom. What? Losing a loved one is always difficult. What? My mom isn't dead. But when Troy found her, he said that... Oh, her heart, lungs, kidneys, and brain. Stop working. And another way of saying that would be she's used up her organic body. By dying in it. Wrong. She's alive. Mom is a part of my Buddhist church. She's a level five laser lotus. Same as me. When a level five's body stops functioning, it's vaporized in the temple of renewal and stored in an energon pod. In a few years, when our Technology advances, they'll extract her body vapors and recondense it to a solid state. And before you know it, Mom will be back in the kitchen making Troy and me sandwiches. Look, if you guys just let me get to the can opener, I can feed you. We have to do something about Pierce. He really thinks his mom isn't dead. He's gone crazy. Her? He won't even let us have a memorial service. I was halfway done with the collage. He hasn't cried yet. From what I've been told, that's not normal. Who's normal, Abed? Well, Baptists are, but that's beside the point. Everybody has some sort of service for the departed. Eskimos, witch doctors, Jewish people. Oh, cool. We made the list. Mm -hmm. The point being, 
Death needs to be coped with, not ignored. Otherwise, why did mankind concoct all these religions? You want to rephrase that? Oh, I'm sorry. Humankind. You think you're real smart, don't you? Guys, guys, guys. Did we learn nothing from last Christmas? I don't see much difference between Pierce's religion and anybody else's. Well, then you're not listening because his has lasers. Look. You guys make fun of me for not caring about religion, but at least I'm dedicated enough to not caring to let you have your own beliefs. Can't Pierce have his? Can't you be cool like me? Hello? Yeah, so many of his speeches that way. There we go. So we've met Pierce. You might have recognized Chevy Chase from National Lampoon's Vacation fame. Um, but he's, a, he's some sort of neo-Buddhist, and so he believes that his mum hasn't really died. Uh, she's been vaporized, and later in the episode, he puts on the table what looks like a lava lamp, which he thinks is his mum. But Jeff is super cool. Did you not notice? Jeff is super cool, and he says, can't we just let Pierce believe what he wants to believe? Except that, as the episode goes on, uh, Jeff gets more and more worked up by Pierce's belief, uh, particularly when something raises the question of his own mortality. And so, as the episode goes on, the plot, basically, of that episode is that is that Jeff sets out to convince Pierce that his mum really is dead. He does this by inviting Pierce out for ice cream, but actually taking him to the morgue. Um, but P- P- uh, Jeff thinks he's super cool, wants to say, let everyone believe what they want to believe, but eventually he just can't handle it. He can't handle the fact that Pierce believes this weird thing about his mum. You see, the truth about truth is, as much as that is the prevailing motto of our culture, you have your truth and I'll have mine, In our supposedly post-truth world, everyone has things that they can't just let other people have their truth on. For instance, I'm not suggesting you actually do this, but if you marched up to the Extinction Rebellion protesters tomorrow in your lunch break and told them that you don't believe in climate change, I very much doubt that they'd let you have your own truth on that. Some people from Oak Hill uh, went on a trip to North Korea over the summer, as you do, uh, and they, on one of their tours, uh, they were told that North Korea had won the Women's Football World Cup. A desire to get out of the country safely uh, left them to leave that person to their own belief. Or you may have heard uh, that Chick-fil-A, the, one of the biggest fast food outlets in America, recently, this month, uh, planted their first uh, place in in England, in the Oracle Shopping Centre in Reading. But following LGBT protests about the company and its CEOs uh, donating money to Christian charities who who oppose same-sex marriage, the shopping centre in Reading has chosen to terminate the contract with Chick-fil-A after the six-month trial period is up. So the question of truth is not a simple one. Many people instinctively want to say that we should let people believe what they want to believe, like Jeff from Community, and yet those same people instinctively feel there are some things which do constitute truth with a capital T. There are some areas where it's not okay to let people believe what they want to believe. The question is, how do we decide what those areas are? And what do we do with the the truth claims of religions in general and of Christianity in particular? Some of you might be familiar with the story of the blind men and the elephant. 
It's a, a traditional, I think, Indian uh, story which was then rewritten as a poem by John Godfrey Sachs in the 19th century. In the story, a group of blind men want to know what an elephant looks like. So they find one, and each man zeroes in on a different part of the elephant's body. So the one who finds its side concludes that an elephant is a bit like a wall. The one who feels its tusk declares an elephant is like a spear. And the one who uh, finds the uh, trunk thinks an elephant's a bit like a, a hose. In turn, each one offers a different description. Holding the tail leads to comparison with a snake, the knee with a tree, the ear with a fan, and so on. But none of them has access to the entire animal. And so none can legitimately say what the elephant, the whole elephant, looks like. Now the story is told to show that this is what, uh, what followers of different religions are like. No religion can claim the whole truth. Saxon's poem ends like this. So oft in theologic wars, the disputants I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about an elephant not one of them has seen. I wonder if you've heard people talk about religions in that way. But did you notice what's wrong with that story, with that little poem? You see, in the story, the person telling the story presumes that they, unlike everyone else, can see the whole picture. Whilst people of different religions are supposedly blind, the non-religious person is presumed to be the one who can see the whole elephant. The storyteller sets themselves up as the one who alone has the full picture. But what if there is someone who comes along into the story and claims to have seen the elephant? Or better yet, what if the elephant itself starts to speak? Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? And this is the claim that Christianity alone makes. This is where you want to turn back to John 1 in your Bibles. We saw it there in that reading. Let me read verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then skim down to verse 14 at the bottom. That Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The astonishing claim of the New Testament is that the God who was there in the beginning, the creator of all things, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And his name was Jesus. He lived in Israel about 2,000 years ago. And he made such an impact on the world that our whole calendar is based around his life. So it's the year 2019. 2019 years, roughly, since the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. How did he make such a huge impact on world history? Because he was God himself walking on earth. God has entered the world. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling 
among us. And his name is Jesus. And you see how John characterizes him there. It was at the end of verse 14. Full of grace and truth. He repeats it in verse 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the word, Jesus, God in human flesh, John says, brings truth. Firstly, truth about God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what John wants us to know as he begins his eyewitness account of Jesus' life is that Jesus is God, none other. And so as we see Jesus in John's Gospel, and the same is true in the other three Gospels, we are seeing God. We're seeing the elephant. Jesus himself, later on in John's Gospel, we heard it earlier on the front of our service sheet, he says about himself, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's an astonishing claim. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Not just that he knows the truth, not just that he has some good teachings to help us with life. No, Jesus claims to be the only way. He claims to be truth and life itself. C.S. Lewis says about this sort of claim that Jesus makes, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The elephant has appeared and spoken. And so we have to take him at his words. I suppose that raises the question then, how do we know that John's Gospel and the other Gospels are true? It may be that you doubt the legitimacy of the Bible, of the Gospels. How do we know that here in John's Gospel, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, are accurate accounts of who Jesus was and what he did and said? How do we know they're true? It could be that Jesus never actually said those things. How do we know? I'm not going to have time to give a a full answer to that question now, but I would recommend getting hold of this book, uh, Can We Trust the Gospels by Peter Williams? Uh, Really, really good book um, and fascinating stuff in there. But let me just give you kind of one uh, one kind of picture to help you. This isn't from him, this is is just from me, uh, to, to give you a little taster. So John's Gospel was the last of the four Gospels to be written. It was written in about AD 90. So that's about 60 years after the events it describes, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now just imagine if someone today published a book giving their eyewitness account of the Queen's coronation in 1953, that's 66 years ago. And they included in their account 
that during the coronation service, one of the bodies buried in Westminster Abbey, let's say Queen Elizabeth I, raised back to life and stood in front of the 8,000 or so guests, what do you think would happen when that book was published? When it came on the shelves in W.H. Smith just in time for Christmas? Of course, there are any number of people alive now who were there, not least the Queen herself, who might just be tempted to put their hand up and say, I was there and that did not happen. Anyone could pipe up and reveal the author as a liar. The same is true of John's Gospel and of the other three Gospels as well. At one point in one of his letters, Paul claims that Jesus appeared to hundreds of people all at once after his resurrection. Surely one of those hundreds of people might have said something about this claim that John and the other Gospel writers had made about who Jesus was. Any number of people could have piped up and and squashed this story about this man, Jesus. But no one could. And so today, it's the year 2019 AD. It would never have been that if this wasn't true, I would argue. So we've seen the truth about truth, and we've seen the truth about God. Finally, and much more briefly, the truth about us. Look down at verse 3. John tells us that through him, the word that is Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So he's saying that the world and everything in it all came into being through the words. There is nothing in existence that wasn't made by him. That includes you and me. Look at verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of men, or mankind. That's why we had that first reading. I was trying to find a passage which kind of captured the essence of the Bible's wisdom literature. A selection of books which basically uh, tell us that this world is God's, that he created human beings, and so here's wisdom on how to live in the world as creatures created by God. That is the truth about us. So in Ecclesiastes, the teacher uh, has spent a lifetime searching for meaning in all the things that the world offers. He's looked for meaning in work, in money, in status, food, drink, even in wisdom itself. And yet when he tries to grab hold of them and build his life on them, they just evaporate. Like breathing out on a cold day, you see your breath, you try and grab it. That's been the experience of the teacher who's tried everything, all of those things to find some meaning in life. And so he concludes at the end of his teaching in Ecclesiastes that the key to life in this world is to remember your creator. Fear God and keep his commandments. I don't know if you kind of picked up some of the imagery in that that reading. It's kind of picturing the end of life saying, remember your creator when you're young, because when your life ends, you're going to go back to him. So remember him and fear God and keep his commandments. That's where real meaning is found. That's where truth is found. And so as we close, look back at John 1. Look at verse 10. We get a little clue of what's going to happen 
as the gospel unfolds, John tells us that he, that's, that is Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, the truth is that God, who, that the God who created all things, including us, came into the world he had made to bring us back into relationship with him. The truth about us, the truth about human beings, is that we were made to be in relationship with God, our creator. And that when we rejected him, when we turned our back on that relationship we were made for, he took upon himself to enter the world so that those who recognize Jesus for who he is and believe in him could become children of God, could have that relationship restored. And so John says that he comes full of truth and grace. Grace which enables us to be restored to the rightful relationship with God, to know our creator now and for eternity. And that is truth with a capital T that Christians want the whole world to know. And if you want to know more about that, then I think we'll have time for Q&A later. But also, come and speak to me, come and speak to Tom after the service. Let me pray for us. Father God, we praise you that you don't leave us scrambling about like blind people, trying to find you, trying to work out what you're like. But you have revealed yourself to us, most supremely in the person of Jesus, in coming in human flesh to dwell among us in order to restore us to right relationship with you. Pray, please, that by your Spirit's work, you would draw your truth deep into our hearts, that we would know it, and that our lives would be shaped by it. Amen.